This week, the Comics Guys explain the interminable saga of the Summers Family, Part 4. Alright, thank you, Ben. Uh, welcome back. Uh, we are going to pick up and uh, finish our discussion of the Summers Family today. Um, and we're going to start off uh, right after M-Day, uh, but that's something we haven't really talked about yet in this series of episodes. So, Darren, what is M-Day? Let's quickly, just to kind of establish what's going on in the world of the X-Men at this point, when this is when these stories are going on. Um, so, it's, it's 2005. We're right around the time that the Deadly Genesis uh, series has come out. That's a limited series that's kind of unrelated. This is what's going on in kind of like the main line of the comics. And so over in Avengers Disassembled, uh, the Avengers line where Brian Bendis has just taken over, uh, you know, writing the series, they have a series of disasters that happen to the Avengers. Several characters are killed in horrible fashion, and it is revealed to all be the fault of Wanda Maximoff of the Scarlet Witch. And this is kind of like, you know, the storylines that very heavily influence uh, the portrayal of Wanda in the MCU uh, over the last uh, couple of years. Um, but basically, in this story, set of stories, uh, she had two children using magic with vision, uh, as once again, as the, the way it happens in the MCU. And uh, it then learns, it is revealed that they're not actually real, um, that they've, they were actually, uh, you know, kind of like uh, uh, just magical creations, basically. Um, and in a, you know, confrontation with the villainous master pandemonium, they basically are wiped from existence. And once again, in, you know, kind of like classic Marvel storytelling style, they decide is decided to wipe Wanda's memory of this because it's such a horrible, uh, you know, event that she, clearly can't handle it she can't process it and so it's kind of like blanked from her mind that she ever had kids at all and then it is uh you know uh bendis then discovers or tells a story in which janet van dyne the wasp uh basically kind of gets a little tipsy and in discussing uh you know like whether or not she would ever have kids uh brings up the fact that wanda had them briefly and reminds her that they exist and this basically causes Wanda's mind to snap, uh, and she goes villainous and kills a bunch of the uh, Avengers, and is now, you know, like her her full power is released. She's, you know, revealed to be the super cosmically powerful being she always was, and uh, the Avengers have to kind of work together with Xavier and Magneto and a bunch of other and Doctor Strange to defeat her. And then there is a question about what to do about her right like does is can is is somebody this powerful this dangerous who has like killed so many people uh you know is it safe to leave her alive you know is it safe to to heal her and at the end of the avengers disassembled stories uh there's a you know there's i think there's a single issue that sets up the house of m um wanda basically creates a new universe uh, in a very similar style to, the, to what we've seen, uh, you know, in Age of Apocalypse and that sort of thing. Uh, uh, that, but this one applies to the entire Marvel universe again. Um, and in this universe, uh, mutants rule over humans, and this is the House of M series, right? In which we have, you know, uh, Magneto, the House of Magnus, is like in control of, you know, North America, and humans are, you know, inferior beings, et cetera, et cetera. And um, several characters in that universe, most notably uh, Layla Miller and Wolverine, remember the universe the way it was supposed to be. 
and set about trying to kind of like free other, you know, characters from Wanda's, you know, vision of the universe, basically, to reestablish the real world. Uh, which, once again, they succeed in doing. It is revealed that it wasn't even Wanda's idea to do this, right? Everybody, well, first they discover that it wasn't Wanda's idea, and they assume that it was Magneto's idea, because Magneto is, you know, the king of everything, basically, in this universe. Clearly, that must have been his call to do that. But it is then revealed the surprise twist ending is, in fact, that it was Quicksilver. Uh, who did this because, you know, he wanted his father to be in charge of everything. He didn't want the responsibility to rule the world himself. He was happy to be, you know, second in command to his dad. Um, at the end of that, and, and all of this, you have to remember, like started as just a, uh, like a side plot, right? The original uh, storyline, the original idea that uh, Wanda would change the universe uh, and create this world was going to just be a two-issue fill-in in Astonishing that Bendis was going to write so that John Cassidy could catch up on the art because he was behind on like art and was, you know, starting to like realize that he was not going to be able to ship stuff in time. He wasn't finished with the art of previous issues. So they needed to do a fill-in story. And the more they talked about what this fill-in story was, the more Bendis was just like, I can go, you know, I can go whole hog on this. This isn't just a fill-in. Right. And so, you know, he blew up this, you know, entire storyline uh, well beyond what the original kind of like order for the story was, which wasn't a bad thing. Marvel was obviously delighted to, to see it. But, uh, you know, that wasn't what they it wasn't what they'd asked him for in the first place. Um, and so at the end of House of M, uh, Wanda does once again, does another spell. Uh, this one doesn't create a new universe. It affects this one. Um, and, the, you know, the famously the last panel is her just kind of whispering no more mutants. And so the end of uh, what's called M-Day, the decimation is what they call it, basically of the million or so mutants on the planet, only about 200 of them keep their powers. The rest of them are just depowered all across the globe. And this becomes kind of like the state of effect for the Marvel Universe. There's only this small number of mutants left and a large number of former mutants who no longer have powers, who have been genetically changed back into human beings, uh, becomes kind of like the state of the world for the X-Men and for the mutants in the Marvel Universe. And once again, as we were saying, this is part of the time, the stretch, when Marvel did not own the movie rights. Uh, to their mutant characters. And so since Sony was at the time being kind of recalcitrant to, you know, like work with them uh, on, uh, uh, on, on the franchise, basically, they were trying to kind of like diminish the importance of the mutants as a, you know, key feature of the MCU. And one of the ways they were going to do it was by just not having so damn many of them. So this becomes the state of affairs for several years. Um, we have a bunch of characters, a bunch of mutants who lost their powers, got them back in various ways. Other ones kind of like changed their concepts. Uh, there was a whole set of uh, the uh, Magneto actually like talks to a celestial and he gets his powers back that way. So there's a hundred different ways that people, characters in the Marvel universe are either changing their concept or getting their old powers back. Right. And the release of that energy of all of those mutants, uh, you know, kind of like being released is what wakes up. Kid Vulcan and uh, and and Darwin on floating island Krakoa out in space, which was uh, we talked about in last episode. At the end of this kind of like run, right now we've gotten to uh, 2009 or so. 
Um, and uh, there is a, uh, a change, once again, philosophical change at Marvel, right? Now we're getting along with Sony. And it turned out that the world wasn't that interested in the Inhumans for the most part. Ms. Marvel aside, that was kind of like the only one of these characters that anybody, you know, expressed any interest one was the creation of Ms. Marvel, um, which is a great outcome of this. But, you know, the Marvel had been hoping for much more. Um, they decided to kind of like start the process of bringing mutants back. And so at the end of the M-Day kind of like run, we have the birth of a new character. A new baby is born who is the first new mutant born in however many quote-unquote years that the M-Day, that the decimation has taken place, right? And this child is named Hope. And we meet her mother, who is a firefighter, who's an ordinary human. We don't know who dad is, and we still, to this day, don't know who dad is. There have been a bunch of rumors thrown around at different times of who exactly uh, Hope's father is but it is officially still an unsolved mystery of the Marvel Universe. And when she is born, her mutant potential, her mutant power is so powerful that literally Cerebra blows up <laughs> when it detects that she exists. Yeah. And so the two X-Men who spent time in the who are from the future, right, who have spent all this time in the distant future, are Cable and Bishop, right, who both come from completely different timelines, completely different alternate futures. Um, both of them recognize that she is an important figure in their history, that this is the mutant messiah. This is, you know, this, this character uh, is like, you know, in their pasts, you know, in their time in the future. And they realize that the, the current world is not leading to either of their futures anymore, right? Like history has been changed by their presence. So neither Cable's future nor Bishop's future can happen as our future, right? They're still out there going along in their own pre-timeline being changed, but this timeline will not get to either of those. So since in Cable's vision, in Cable's future, Hope is an incredibly important great hero, right? She's the mutant messiah. She's the one who leads them to like the next, you know, steps. She's incredibly powerful and important figure you know in his in his setting in bishop's setting she's a horrible monster who's responsible for enormous numbers of death of deaths right depending on whatever strange events are going to happen in her past she will either be the greatest thing that ever happened to mutants or the greatest monster that mutants ever created right and so they immediately wind up in a conflict uh where Cable wants to kill her to keep her from, you know, doing all the terrible things that she did in his... I'm sorry, Bishop wants to kill her to keep her from doing all the terrible things from his future, and Cable wants to save her to make sure that she can do all the things that he saw in his future. Uh, and so the two of them wind up in a battle that basically, you know, briefly kind of like splits the X-Men. Uh, Cable swipes her um, and uh, takes her into the future to raise her the way that he was raised by Scott and Jean back two episodes ago, right? And lives with her in the future for a number of years. In that time, we meet Cable's uh, wife, uh, who is also named, who is named Hope Summers because she's married to Nate Summers. Um, and they give Hope the last name Summers as, you know, like their adopted daughter, basically. Cable trains her 
in the use of her powers and also in being like a badass soldier, you know, in like the same way that Scott and Jean and the, you know, uh, the, the sisterhood, et cetera, had, had trained him and brings her back to the present day only a short period after when he left, but now she's a teenager. Right. So there's a whole... Right. I think makes a reappearance during this, uh, this series. Who does? Uh, Strife. Yes. Uh, evil Cable. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, once they come back, once the two of them come back, we are now in a massive time travel snarl crossover, right? Because Bishop's trying to kill them. Strife wants to get a hold of her as well. Apocalypse, of course, can't let something like this go on without, you know, sticking his own nose into it. Um, and so they kind of, you know, like uh, th this battle kind of like rages through the stories for a while. Um, but she, she, uh, Cable and she kind of like get chased through time for a bit, but they wind up back and it's 2010 and they're here now, like safe. They managed to convince Bishop to stop trying to kill her, um, that she's clearly not the person that she was, she, she was in his timeline. Um, already her history has changed so much. And because Cable has spent all this time on her, she's not going to turn into the evil monster. Um, Strife and Apocalypse are both smacked around and, you know, like retreat. And that this kind of like comes to an end, brings to an end the entire M-Day decimation storyline because mutants are being born again. Like more mutants are coming after her. Uh, during this story, while other things are going on here, just to make sure that like we haven't forgotten and just to like complicate things more, there is a side story in which, guess who returns one more time? Madeline Pryor. And Madeline Pryor comes as Jean is dead lying in her grave and Madeline returns as some sort of like horrifying psychic ghost and decides that what she needs to do is inhabit Jean's corpse still in the grave. And there is a, this is only a couple issues long story for it, but basically Scott tricks the ghost Madeline into possessing the wrong body by putting a different body in Jean's grave. And then once Madeline kind of like sinks into the ground and then comes up, she's not in Jean's body. She's in some other random person's body. And then they kick the snot out of her and drive her away. Just to make sure that like, you know, we haven't forgotten this horrible, horrible character and all of the nightmares, all the continuity nightmares she's responsible for. Yep. She comes back. She's like cockroaches, man. If she is, there's no getting rid of her. That's for some Marvel at this point is, is just trolling us by bringing her back over and over again. Yep. Um, the next set of stories with hope in them, basically hope is super cosmically powerful, right? Once again, like all of the members of the Summers family, except for Scott and Alex, basically, <laughs> you know, turn out to be. Um, and her power is that she can duplicate any other mutant's powers, whoever they are. Right. So like her power level kind of depends on who she's stealing stuff from. Right. And uh, in a you know conflict in a in a fight that they're having, she basically manifests the phoenix form and power, and somehow gets the attention of the phoenix force, which then comes to like try to possess her because she is you know strangely a redheaded woman uh, you know who is manifesting this power and exactly I mean she is not biologically we think related to 
uh, Jean Grey uh, or Rachel or any of the others there. Um, she's, you know, in the Summers family by adoption. And yet it's really interesting that she's a redhead that the Phoenix Force is really into. That still kind of like makes us wonder precisely who dad was. Um, anyway, the return of the Phoenix Force sets off the Avengers versus X-Men series, right? As Cyclops and Captain America have very different opinions about what should be done about the return of Phoenix. Um, there's a whole confrontation. There's a whole battle. Um, the Phoenix Force winds up getting split among five different members of the X-Men as the outcome of, like, after the Avengers and X-Men have fought for, like, a year's worth of stories. Um, at the end of this, the five people who are each carrying part of the Phoenix Force kind of, like, turn on each other. Scott is one of the people controlling a share of the Phoenix Force. In fact, he's at this point, I think he's controlling like three parts of it because he's beaten two of the others and taken their powers. And in the end of that battle, uh, Hope and Wanda have to team up to take Scott's Phoenix powers away. Because Scott has gone like fully Scott off. has gone completely off of the rocker at this point. He's turned like, he's Magneto, completely evil. Magneto is the voice of reason. Right. Uh, in the evil team of X-Men, because it's what? It's him, Emma, him, Emma, Colossus, Magneto, and Namor, I think. And Namor are the five who are dividing it at first, yes. Yeah. And so Scott, in this like final battle where he's refusing to give up the Phoenix powers, kills Xavier. Like, you know, again, at this point, it's, it's becoming monotonous. Um, and uh, at the end of it, basically, uh, Wanda and Hope take away the phoenix power from him hope takes the entire phoenix power inside her and becomes white phoenix a new version of phoenix we have not seen before and then her final kind of like you know phrase the final thing she does is a reference back to wanda saying no more mutants where hope says no more phoenix and apparently erases the phoenix force from the universe incidentally this brings back all the other mutants' powers, right? That's all the mutants who had like lost powers at this point um, are like have their power levels reset if they can, if they you know they haven't like changed as a character or concept. Um, Scott is uh, depowered entirely and becomes a prisoner of the X Men, and this is kind of like where he sits for a while as you know, sort of like a you know, uh, shamed former X Men. Uh, who they're actually like keeping in prison for the stuff that he did, primarily for the murder of Xavier, um, which itself will get you know undone. Uh, but that you know is kind of that's that that is leads to a year or two of like stability again in the storyline. Bendis is not done messing with the X Men, of course, at this point, and everything has gone so badly for the X Men, and there's a bunch of terrible things that are going on as part of the process of trying to convince the other X Men that. Uh, Hank is right. Hank basically travels back in time and brings forward in time the kid versions of the original X-Men, the original five, and brings them to the modern day as part of some sort of effort to kind of like prove a philosophical point about how horrified the kids would be at what the modern day X-Men have turned into. And this is kind of a funny twist, right? Because this is Bendis like how many times at this point have the X-Men traveled into a terrible future, right? Into some sort of like horrible dystopic future where things have gone just like completely awfully as bad as possible. And the X-Men have to like fight to survive 
to get back to their world, right? This has happened over and over again. I mean, from the big ones like Apocalypse or Days of Future Past or all that stuff, but all the other little ones that they've, all the other little futures that they've gone to too, right? Like the future where the Shadow King was in control of um, Karma and used her powers to take over the world, right? There've been a million dystopic future stories. And Bendis turns this one around because we're the dystopic future. Right. And like how awful our basically day to day version of the MCU would look to kids with this, you know, like viewpoint of the way superhero stories were told 60 years ago, 55 years ago, um, is kind of is the joke that he's playing. Right. Sometimes it works. There are parts of the, you know, time trust kid X-Men stories uh, that work perfectly, that work marvelously. But there's a, it's very clear that nobody else knows what to do with them. And these five characters kind of like run around now in the universe for a while alongside their adult versions. And strange stuff is, is done with kind of like each of them, basically. A lot of like, you know, kind of like out of character stuff happens to them. Um, the worst one probably being the, uh, the way that they go about outing uh, Iceman. Uh, yes. With Gene just going, you're gay, because I was in your brain. <laughs> yep. Um, probably, like, the worst one. The best one being, I, I love Kid Cyclops. They do great stuff with... Um, with how horrified he is by his future version of himself, yeah. Yeah, his, his, his being horrified by them joining the champions. Right. Um, his interactions with the other younger heroes um, are all just really good moments. Yes, absolutely. Um, oh, and he has his own little side series where he goes into uh, space to actually like hang out with his dad, and his dad actually yep. like acts like a dad for once. Because of course, first time, right? Yeah. Or Sarah gets revived at some point during this. Uh, I know he died last time we talked about him, but uh, he's he's alive again. He's back again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's it's another. A, it's a nice bit because the the friendships among the champions. Yes. Is, I mean, the Champions is a very well-written series, and it's kind of like charming the way that like Kid Cyclops fits in with this other team of kids, the way he was no longer fitting in with the X-Men, right, with his former teammates. And so at the end of this kind of like set of stories, they have to travel back in time to kind of like re, you know, live their lives with their memories of the time that they spent in the future removed by Gene and then not kicking in until they've gone back, right? Like suddenly, you know, the adults are all like, I don't remember this ever happening to me. Uh, you know, we've, we've changed time in some like kind of like fundamental way by bringing them here. Uh, because I, you know, I, old Scott, never went to the future as young Scott, right? But when they go back in time, they're inserted back into the timeline with their memories erased. And as soon as they are back in the timeline and close the loop, Scott now remembers having been young Scott. And Bobby remembers being young Bobby, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's, you know, like their memories are freed from the mental block that Gene put in on them. And so there is a great scene the first time Ms. Marvel meets Cyclops after that. Yes. Right? So and they have that, yeah, they have that like confrontation basically where, where Ms. Marvel has no idea that Scott remembers, you know, Scott has always insisted he did not remember being young Scott. Right. And so when she has to turn to him for help, he's just like, are you kidding? Of course I'd do this for a fellow member of the champions, you know, <laughs> and her heart just swells up of just like, oh, he remembers, you know, and it's like such a fabulously sweet scene of, you know, how could I possibly forget you were my best friends, you know? 
Yeah, I think he, in the comic, he abandoned, he actually leaves the X-Men who are, like, prepping for a war uh, to go help his team. Uh, and it's just a very cute, like, moment. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, during this run, uh, we have a new version of Cable shows up. Um, there is a brief uh, period of time, basically, where we now have a younger version of Cable uh, who shows up in, I believe, 2018 or so. Um, and they wind up in a direct conflict with each other in which Kid Cable, Junior Cable, uh, kills Senior Cable. And we get to finally have a scene where Scott, I mean, Scott basically like buries uh, Cable, you know, like at the funeral there. And it's kind of like a the first time Scott is, you know, kind of like dealing with the, you know, his, his memory of raising him as a child. Right. Even though now, you know, Cable is older than him. Right. Like he, he has the, you know, kind of like the, the funeral sequence is actually like very nice. Um, and his inability to kind of like relate to Kid Cable, uh, who comes from a different time stretch and therefore never had Scott as a dad. Right. Is, you know, like his the, their, the interaction of like why he's different because Scott wasn't his dad. Right. Then now we've kind of like caught up to what is more or less, uh, you know, kind of current times for this. Um, and uh, Scott has been, you know, as if you can imagine after the, uh, the whole uh, Phoenix Force Avengers versus X-Men throughout, Scott's been taking it in the pants, uh, you know, like over and over again for the last few years. Um, he has been killed by my count in the last five years. He's been killed five times. Uh, Dr. Doom kills him in Secret War. Then after Secret War, he gets resurrected just in time to get killed again by the Terrigen Mist. Wait, uh, or who gets killed by the Terrigen? Scott does. He does. I totally yes. forgot that. Yeah, I remember multiple men. And then, and then uh, Fina, uh, Emma fakes his actual death, has like a psychic version of him die, so that like people won't know that he was killed by the Terrigen Mist earlier, and. Like, that doesn't come out for a while. Like, first he gets killed. He seems to get killed in a fight. And the people are like, man, that was really stupid. How did he get killed in that fight? Oh, actually, he's been dead all this time because he died during the Terrigen Mist. And then the third time, the Phoenix Force brings him and Gene back to life again. And then they have a conflict. And Gene kills him in that conflict. Then he's brought back by Team Cable one more time. Uh, basically, just in time to participate in the Dawn of X in the modern, the, the modern current run of the X Men that takes place on Krakoa, where the mutants have kind of, you know, uh, retreated from ordinarily ordinary human society and set up their own country slash corporation uh, on Krakoa as an island. Um, and uh, so Scott is there to be the leader of that team. And in the very first story in that team, he gets killed again uh, in a, you know, uh, in a uh, attack on a, you know, Sentinel base, basically, and then is brought back to life again. Uh, because this is now the new shtick of the X-Men is that they can bring anybody back from the dead. Right. Like there's the, the you know, that's, there's a collection of mutants called the five. And between them, combining their powers, they are able to basically clone new bodies and put the soul and uh, and and mind uh, of a new of of any dead mutant into that body and bring them back to life. This is, of course, something they are not telling anybody about. So then, the next time Scott dies, uh, very publicly, 
and everybody kind of like sees him die. This time when he comes back, he has to come back as a completely new identity because everybody knows Cyclops is dead because it happened on TV, right? And so he is now living like among the X-Men, basically, as a brand new uh, mutant called Crap- Captain Krakoa, the uh, Krakoan version of Captain America, uh, who is, you know, the, the, the current uh, uh, version of him uh, that's running around with the X-Men. The five have also brought back old Cable after having a whole conflict uh with like the, they weren't supposed to bring back cable because uh the rules of Krakoa say that you can't have more than one version of the same person around. So while Kid Cable was around, uh they couldn't bring back the old one. But regardless, a bunch of the uh X-Men kind of like behind the scenes snuck around and had it done anyway, so old uh cable was brought back to life. And this conflict was resolved by sending Kid Cable back into the future where he can like live out the life that is going to lead to being old cable again. Um, Alex then goes to the five and the council and says, as long as we're bringing people back from the dead, I'm still apparently in love with you guessed it. Madeline Pryor, uh, who apparently uh, Alex has never gotten over the time that they were together uh, during Inferno and everything. And he very much wants to bring her back from the dead. And uh, the uh, there is considerable debate about whether or not to bring her back from the dead. Um, that uh, Alex is very upset when she is initially turned down. Um, and at the most recent, uh, you know, kind of like set of uh, dealing with the story, the council did in fact agree to bring her back from the dead. So Madeline Pryor is once again alive on Krakoa. Uh, but when Alex then tries to begin a relationship with her, she immediately turns him down saying that she has had enough of spending time with Summer's boys. Uh, and that that's just not a thing that she's, uh, certainly like looking to do anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, in case you were sad that, uh, Marvel was not done trolling us about Madeline Pryor, she is currently back and part of the current setting. <laughs> that more or less brings us up to today with the, Summer's family. There are, of course, dozens of alternate timelines beyond the ones that we talked about that kind of like have in you know uh, interacted with the six one six universe. Um, various versions of the Summer's family um, or alternate versions of these characters. Uh, most notably, the Ultimate X Men setting was kind of like the biggest uh, other you know alternate worlds explored in the Marvel universe, um, which had a Scott and an Alex and a Jean. Um, but none of the other shenanigans that actually went on with the Summer's line for the most part. Um, and then when they introduced a Cable character in Ultimate, it was like, you know, a, a big dramatic plot twist when we discovered that the Cable of the Ultimate Universe is not, in fact, related to Gene or Scott or anybody else uh, in the setting, but was, in fact, actually a future version of Wolverine from the Ultimate setting. Uh, who had become Cable. So like the Cable of the Ultimate Universe before he died, and he is dead currently, um, was future Wolverine, not uh, future Nate. Uh, Other kind of like notable characters that we haven't really hit on in this that we can kind of like bring up briefly. uh, When Peter David was writing X-Factor back in the uh, mid-2000s, there was an entire future timeline that Layla Miller came from. Layla came from. And in Layla's time, which split off 
at a you know considerably later point in X-Men history, uh, Scott and Emma had had a child uh, whose name was Ruby. And Ruby uh, is also a mutant who lives for a very long time. Layla is actually uh, you know, from considerably farther in the future from when Ruby should be alive. And we learn that Ruby is actually, even though she looks like a teenager, is actually 70-something years old at that point, but her mutant power of being able to turn to, that she inherited from mom, of turning into a gemstone form, basically uh, kept her from aging while she was in that form, right? So her powers, she has a combination of Scott's, uh, you know, energy blasts and the ability to turn into a crystal form like Emma could. Um, And so she kicks around, she's still out there in Layla's future. in the uh, Uncanny Avengers run that Havoc was the team leader of, we saw an alternate world in which Alex uh, had married uh, Janet Van Dyne, uh, the Wasp, and the two of them had a daughter uh, who was named Katie, who was named after Catherine, her grandma would have been a grandmother, um, and they have to keep her hidden uh, because she is a pure human in a world where humans are discriminated against. Um, and uh, in this mutant society, and uh, the last we see of her, uh, that version of Kang had like discovered her existence, but then that entire timeline kind of like got wiped out, and it's unlikely that they will ever come back, but uh, you know, just in case they ever do, we want to make sure that uh, you know we mentioned it here. The most notable uh, spin-off alternate universe member of the Summers family that we have not talked about yet. Um, is actually was not showing up in X-Men comics at all. Um, for But the most notable one is Hyperstorm. And back in the 90s, Hyperstorm was one of the most 90s bad guys that you could have. And he was a Fantastic Four villain who was full of super cosmic energy and powers and that sort of thing. And uh, he was constantly trying to kill Reed Richards and also uh, Doctor Doom, who he had a mat on. Uh, and, uh, you know, was using these incredible cosmic powers and was eventually revealed to be Jonathan Richards, the son of Rachel Summers and Franklin Richards from the future of the days of future past, but farther beyond that, right? So like where Franklin and Rachel had become adults, gotten married, had a kid, and their kid had grown up to his late teens. And that kid was Hyperstorm, who was so super cosmically powerful, as we keep saying about all of these characters, that he like conquered the planet and then conquered the solar system and a whole bunch of other planets and like ruled an entire empire in the distant future and then came back to this future to mess with uh, Reed Richards and, uh, and Victor Von Doom for really no good reason. And, uh, you know, after eight or ten appearances as a character, he pretty much was written out and uh, disappeared, and nobody has felt any urge to bring him back. Um, But he is yet another example of a Super Cosmic Summers kid. I usually Uh, love Peter David stuff, but that sounds awful. uh, Peter Peter David did the Ruby Summer story. Oh, um, I, I got mixed up. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, Peter David did that. I like the Ruby Summer story. I like Layla Miller in in general. She's fun. Yeah, no, the Hyperstorm is from, like, 90s. That's, like, Tom DeFalco, uh, Fantastic Four. So. I got mixed up. Um, And then the last one I want to bring up is that there was a brooded about uh, in Marvel's, uh, you know, editorial discussions that never actually happened when Chris Claremont returned to writing the X-Men in the early 2000s when he was doing stories like X-Men The End and a few other limited series there, he set out, uh, he, he postulated a theory 
suggesting, and this is before Kid Vulcan, uh, suggesting that when um, uh, Mr. Sinister had referred to there being uh, yet another um, Summer's brother out there, that the person he was in fact actually referring to was Gambit. And that Gambit's history was going to be revealed as being having been completely made up um, and implanted in his mind, and uh, the that Gambit actually was going to be revealed to be yet another Summer's brother. Um, Claremont thought this was a great idea and pushed for it very hard. There was, shall we say, some resistance uh, within like Marvel editorial, and basically that never happened. Nobody else thought it was a good idea, and that storyline was killed dead and never actually did happen but it is you know there is probably a parallel universe out there somewhere where claremont actually got that pushed uh through marvel editorial and in that universe gambit is actually also a you know summer's brother uh but it's not to this one that's for the best i think so that sounds weird and i like gambit but that still sounds weird right yeah I mean, you can kind of like vaguely see it, I guess, physically, and you could kind of see, I guess, how his powers aren't that far off. But really, there's no need for this. No, I mean, yeah, just give Gambit something different to do. That's not uh, that. Right. Um. So cool. I think that brings us to the end. I think we've done. Uh, you know, I we I welcome at this point anybody who wants to thinks we missed any part of this. Uh, or, uh, you know, has something else, some similar, uh, you know, like uh, sideline that they want us to go off on on a future episode. Um, but I think this is pretty much as thorough a study of the Summers family tree uh, as you can have pretty much anywhere. So, uh, you know. Absolutely. Let uh, us know what you thought. And if there's other characters that you want treated this way uh, to, you know, that you've always wanted to have explained to you how they work, uh, you know, back us on Patreon. Um, come on our Discord, that sort of thing, and let us know what you want. Surefire way to get us to talk about stuff. Absolutely. Um, well, thanks so much for joining us. I've been Steve Chaster. And I'm Darren Watts. Have a good night. Thanks for coming.